as, uh, as we get ready, we're going to go to Romans 1. Doug is passing out uh, Bibles, and so if you would be interested in one, raise your hand. We love uh, the Word of God to be read. And so uh, go with me to Romans 1. And uh, this is uh, my final message, I think, that uh, this is the sixth message uh, of the book of Romans, uh, but my final message in, in one. Sometimes I, fi- I feel like I'm going too fast. Sometimes I think I'm going too slow. So uh, I appreciate the fact that you are uh, people who want to learn and want to grow and uh, desire to in the Lord. And so thank you for your patience and for your hearts that desire uh, to grow in the Lord. So again, uh, if you've gotten, just gotten your Bible, uh, turn with me to Romans 1. We're going to be reading the 24th verse through the 32nd verse. And so as we obediently have God's word open together, uh, let us go to a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, the song that we just heard uh, probably wasn't the music preference of some and others, uh, Lord, uh, resonated with it. Uh, being brought up in the 70s, there's a, uh, certainly a classic rock feel to it that uh, kind of draws something that I heard as a kid. But Lord, I thank you so much for the message. For Father, uh, we have all uh, struggled against the message. We have all struggled against your writing hand. And Lord, you said in your word that uh, before one of our days came, uh, every word, every day was written in your book. And so Father, uh, you are the originator of all life. You are the writer of all stories. And Lord, even Pharaoh himself who decided uh, to rebel against the one who knocked every one of his gods down in front of his face. And yet he rebelled, Lord. You said about him that his life was there uh, to continue the writing. Father, I pray for every person in front of us uh, that they will hear the message today and they will hear the words that you say and that, Father, your spirit speaks to our hearts and that our lives surrender to the pen of God Almighty one who sent his son, Jesus, the spirit that's in this place, witnessing in our hearts of the reality of who you are. May we see you for who you are today. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Romans 1, starting with the 24th verse, says these, these words. Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Let it be so. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossipers, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. 
They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decrees that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Thus ends the reading of God's inspired word. Now many people use these passages to build a theology against the practice of sexual immorality. Homosexuality needs the practice of transgender living. Where they wouldn't be wrong, and certainly within the context of these verses, lie the indictment against any of sexual immorality. I believe that my time in this word and other resources, God has shown me and us, I hope, today, a bigger picture of what's at stake. I've been leading you through uh, Romans chapter 1. From the wrath of God being revealed to the foolishness of man rejecting him to what leads uh, from idolatry to adultery into a life of prostitution for everyone who turns away from God. These next nine verses reveal a truth uh, that I wonder if anyone has ever thought about. To help you gain an understanding of the direction, let me ask you a question. Why sexuality? What's the big deal about sexuality? Now, I want a disclaimer here. There's a lot of preachers that use these verses right now to kind of shock people into listening. I'm not going to be one of them. Uh, because I think that our focus on the Lord is more important than our focus on anything else. But why not murder or coveting or stealing or lying as being the slippery slope that takes us into eternal separation from God? And certainly they do. But why sexuality is the big deal? Why is it the big deal? Why does God care so much about our sexuality? Because no, like, not, like no other sin, sexual immorality lies at the center of the covenant. The covenant finds its roots in the intimate picture of God creating man in his image and in his likeness. Setting him in a garden and giving him authority to rule. God's creation of relational connection through obedience of abstaining from eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And also that man should not be alone, even though he was not alone. He created woman out of man. The beauty of human connection and community. He then became the first high priest that officiated the first marriage and painted a picture of what the holy covenant looks like on earth. That is why it says in Genesis 2, that is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And they became one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. The covenant is a call to, a holy, to be holy and separated from the world. To leave that which uh, in the world brings security. To cleave to a new life. A life that is permanently trusting in God, and in his new direction for your life. A life of unity to God, pictured by the unity that is brought together between a man and a woman. The life of true intimacy that is revealed by the body of a man entering the body of a woman to bring forth life. So the Son of God enters the heart of a human through the gospel and brings forth life for eternity. 
It is the picture that God has set. That's why God cares so much about our sexuality. Because it is the very existent, uh, very existent that paints a picture to honor the creator in its intimacy, beauty, and connectivity that sex has the potential to create. Satan knew that, and he knew if he could destroy our sexuality, he could destroy the beautiful picture that God has wanted to paint from the beginning. So sexuality is a gift from God, created in a way that not only produces life, but intimacy, joy, peace, and hope within the context of marriage. Hebrews 13.4 says marriage should be honored above all, and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexual immoral. Every single one of us is sexually broken. Every one of us. Genesis 3 shows that to us as we venture in with Adam and Eve and we see the deception of the, of the serpent, the evil one. And it produced a hiding and a realization of their nakedness. And it has been with every human being since. The brokenness is revealed from Hugh Hefner to Mr. Epstein in these last years, to a teenager sitting in the backseat of a car experimenting with sex, to a woman who will not have sex with her husband unless the room is dark. We are all broken sexually and need restoration from God. Now, this is such an important subject that when the gospel was spreading in the book of Acts, to the Gentiles. And there was a controversy between those in leadership in Jerusalem of what should be moved forward in some kind of legalistic form to hold the Gentiles together. They wrote this letter, and in response they said this, It seems good that the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond following the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. And this is the interesting thing. Because I, we have to understand the truth. That what is happening in our sexuality today is that the world is being sexually discipled. It is. It's being sexually discipled. I remember asking my leaders when we started this church, how many of you have been discipled beyond the normal Sunday school and church youth program? Do you know that not one person raised their hand? I certainly don't know about all churches, but I think that it's fairly true that generally in the American church in the past 50 to 70 years, discipleship has not been on their agenda. In fact, Billy Graham himself said publicly, with all the millions of people that have come to my crusades, I don't see much change in the world. And he attributed to that to the fact that the churches didn't pick up discipleship.
But here's the kicker. There has been one that gets and understands discipleship. He has been amazingly brazen about it. He is always recruiting. He has missionaries all over the world. He has captured the world's media. He has captured the world's internet. He has changed and transformed the world's governments. His organizational skills are out of this world. His employees are gifted recruiters. His natural language is false teaching. His heart is to destroy all mankind. And his time is short. And he is always on task. While we're enjoying the distracting comforts of a materialistic world, he is ever undercutting our families, our friends, our employees, our churches, and our communities. He is so good because of one reason. We're so sleeping. Have I got your attention yet? Now, I may have some skeptics in this room that say, listen, Andersma, aren't you being just a little bit overdramatic? Here's the study that comes out of Barna Group. Today, 41% of practicing Christians believe that cohabitation is a good idea. 60% of Christians on the Christian dating site say they would approve having sex before marriage. 55% of them uh, thought it was appropriate to move in with each other. 32% of men between 18 and 30 admit they have an addiction to porn. And these are Christian men. And these are the only ones that admit it. It's much higher than that. Pew Research found that 54% of Christians believe that homosexuality should be accepted rather than discouraged. And we're in the midst of seeing denominations being split over it and conversations being had by all kinds in the midst of it. I personally have addressed and talked to many people that have told me it is very disrespectful not to address people by the gender they prefer versus the one they were born under. Now what they're saying, that they don't know they're saying, is this. That it's okay with God to let somebody live in a lie rather than the truth, so they can be happy. Julie Slattery has written a book called Rethinking Sexuality. I think everyone in this room ought to read it. She says there are two lenses of sexuality. Either it's my identity or it's God's intentional design for humanity. Obviously, it goes without saying that our world, the worldview today is that it is our identity. And so when you come against my choice of sexual preference, you come against me personally. God says the issue of sexuality is not primarily an action, of, an action issue. It is a heart issue or a spiritual issue. 
We must surrender to the Holy Spirit's discipling of our lives instead of the world's discipling of our lives. And every single one of us is born under the discipling of the world's agenda. So to move forward, I want to do two things. First of all, I want to, I want to define um, what discipleship is. And second, I want to talk to you about how this passage unfolds the enemy's attack and the enemy's um, agenda for sexually discipling you. Julia said this about discipleship. It is the integration of what we believe into our everyday lives and relationships. Discipleship always happens in community, and it always affects groups of individuals, whether within the context of family, organizations, or a country. Discipleship is marked by three movements. First, knowing what we believe. In the church today, there is a lack of understanding of knowing what we believe because there's a lack of submitting to holy gospel discipleship. Second is living what we believe. Living it out. Believing that the Bible is talking directly to you and actually walking in the footsteps of its words. And third, passing on what we believe to others. You ever wonder why discipleship hasn't happened It's because people don't know what they believe. And they're afraid that they're not going to be able to answer questions. It's because people aren't living it. And so they're afraid that their life is going to be seen as hypocritical. And why aren't they passing it on? Because you can't pass on something you don't have. You can't. And so as we move into this, you now have an idea of what discipleship is. And Romans 1, like I promised, is, is revealing the pattern that the, that the enemy is using. And so let's unfold this pattern together because I think we ought to come to understand. Some of you, I, I, I believe this, some of you are sitting here today going, I wonder if I am being sexually discipled. Well, look in here. Let's find out. And I pray that the Lord will open up the door to you. So, Like I said, um, so as you look at these passages, first of all, I want to give you contextual understanding. Um, You notice three times it says one phrase. What is it? Three times. God gave them over. That ought to shake your boots out. God gave them over. And so the phrase refers to being uh, given one body to be burned. It's found in verse 24, verse 26, and verse 28. It is the same usage as the word in 1 Corinthians 13, 3. It says, if I give all I possess to the poor, and I give over my body to the flames, but do not have love, I gain nothing. The uselessness of sacrifice for the wrong reason. Or the positive sense is found in Ephesians 5, 2, which says, Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's obviously significant that it's said three times. If you know your Bible, you know that any time something's said three, the Holy Spirit's trying to get your attention, trying to wake you up. And so that is, that's the first reason. It... Uh, 
it kind of reminded me of a song from the 70s that I heard um, when I was a kid growing up by to- Tony Orlando and Don. One of the lines in the chorus says, knock three times on the ceiling if you want me. And uh, sung for a different reason, but you know what? The Holy Spirit's knocking on the ceiling of your heart saying, wake up, wake up. Now, the giving over uh, is, is really has a dual sense of understanding. First, it's the indirect sense, meaning that in the, in the aspect of giving up, he basically withdraws his restraints and protective hand. When he does this, the true effect of sin has its way on you. If, I, if we had some honesty in church today, I got a feeling we'd have a pretty unanimous uh, raising of hands when sin has had its way in your life and when there's been times where it has really hit you right in the face what you've been doing. Maybe not for all of us, but for many of us. The uh, uh, characterization of sin is that fact it takes you further than you intended to go, doing things you never thought you would do and becoming someone you never envisioned to be. A small child never dreamed of spending the rest of their lives in jail. And yet this past week, a man stabbed two people in mire and that's exactly the path he's on. So there's an indirect sense where God withdraws his hand. But there's also a direct sense. And the direct sense is that God does specific things to bring judgment into people's lives. We see it throughout Scripture, and we see it even today. It's been interesting that even amongst the Christian circles, there has been such a question, would God bring This, or would God allow this to happen? What kind of good God would allow this to happen? And that is causing some people unwilling to follow him. But I tell you that I serve a God that is not only loving, but he's just. And that his judgments on this world are actually judgments of mercy. Because it's an opportunity for people to wake up and to see who he really is. Isaiah 19, 22 says, The Lord will strike Egypt with a plague, and he will strike them and heal them. He will turn to the Lord, and he, they, will respond, they will return to the Lord, and he will respond to their pleas and heal them. Yes, God brings judgment. Absolutely. But not to destroy, but to draw the heart. When you come, in in Ryan's song, did you hear the chaos when they decided to take the pen in their own hand? I heard the chaos in the music just all over the place. That's exactly what happens. But we don't see it until God brings judgment that reveals to us the chaos so that we can see clearly and we can be drawn back to him. Now, there's an elephant in the room here, and I want to address it, and it is this. Does God abandon eternally? Does he? 
MacArthur says the divine abandonment of men to their sins about which Paul is speaking here is not eternal abandonment. As long as sinful men are alive, God provides opportunity for their salvation. In fact, in 1 Peter, it says that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come repentance. And if you know your Bible, you know 1 Corinthians 6, 6 uh, verse 11, which says that after describing the things of people who will not inherit the kingdom of God, he says, and all of us were once among them, but we have been sanctified. Our lives have been transformed and changed by the Holy Spirit. And so it brings a unity and a continuity. I have no right to judge somebody who is under the discipleship of sexuality in this world because I too was once under it. In fact, this was, I had somebody praying over me this week. This was a hard passage for me to even study this week because I realized that at one time my life was under this. And it made me sick to think of the time I wasted being discipled by the evil one. And so, now let's see how the idea of discipleship works out in these passages. If you remember the three marks, the first thing was knowing what we believe. As you look at verse 24, notice that God says the reason why he gave them over. It was in the sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for degrading of their bodies with one another. You know, in the Christian world, we talk about True knowledge is getting uh, the knowledge out of your head and into your heart. Why is that so important? Because it is in your heart that you truly know what you believe. That's why discipleship of any kind must be sure that the heart buys into the doctrine. Here we see that God gave them over because of the sinful desires of the heart. We know that's true. That even... Um, Jeremiah said in the 17th chapter, the 10th verse, that our heart is more deceitful than anything else. Who can truly know it? Somebody told me this morning in respect to a relationship, she says, I have to keep remembering I can't follow my heart. I have to follow Jesus. I love that. Amen. Amen. He will reveal it to you if it's right. So it is the sinful desires of their heart. The heart buys in. Matthew says this, the fifth, or Jesus said this in the 15th chapter, the 19th verse. He says, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Proverbs says in the 4th chapter, the 23rd verse, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. One commentator said, The heart is your whole thinking process. It is your will and moves your motive for living. In this passage, sexual discipleship begins to move the heart from lust, which is the desire and what is forbidden, to sexual impurity, which is uncleanliness. Or if you have a Jewish mind, it would be this way. It's the decaying matter referring to the contents of a grave. Or say it this way, for what God desired 
to create life from sinfulness used to cause death. You see, when man seeks to elevate himself in his own purposes, by his own standards, he inevitably does the opposite. Proverbs tells us there's a way that leads to death. There's a a way that uh, seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. Degrading is the act of dishonoring that which has been given, debasing and disgracing the very life you have been given. How much have we done that in our own lives? How much of that have we seen? I don't know about you, but I've seen it in my own life. And I don't want any more of it. I don't want any more of it. Verse 25 says that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever to be praised. Amen. I think that Paul, as he even went through these first two verses, got so sick and, and, and just so overwhelmed by the sickness that the Holy Spirit was revealing to him about how the minds and hearts of people can be drawn and discipled that he had to just say kind of a little the creator who is forever to be praised. It is exactly what I have felt. It's just the sickness. But in this thing, we, exchanging the truth about God for a lie, we're going back to verse 18, right? We're saying that, we have to, that those who turn away from God, they suppress the truth and exchange it. Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except for me, through me. Jeremiah 13, 25 says, This is your lot, the portion I have decreed for you, declares the Lord, because you have forgotten me and trusted in false gods. So the first step down the slippery slope is how we've been discipled in your heart and knowing what you believe. Is knowing what you believe true for you? Or or excuse me, is knowing what you believe true or true for you? Second, Verse 26 or 27, living out what we believe. So we, the, 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 the sexual discipleship of the evil one takes us from what we, um, what we buy into in our heart to then living it out. Let's see it. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Shameful lusts, or another version said, degrading passions. I think that connects well with the passage of, of, of what we're reading here. It, it is, listen to me, it's passion that moves the motion of your life. Find out what a, passion, a person is passionate about and you'll know what they're doing with their life. Passion comes from a heart that has determined a course and at all costs, the body follows. The body follows. MacArthur says, when a man forsakes the author of nature, he inevitably forsakes the order of nature. Perversion is listed as the act of illicit and twisted expression of that which is God-given and natural. Inversion is the expression of that which is neither God-given or natural. Like I said, I'm not going to get graphic in this message. But I have to admit that some of the study that I did over the last week made me sick. 
made me sick. God desires so much more. David Platt, a well-respected pastor, says this. I and every reader of my book are guilty of multiple levels of sexual thought, desire, speech, and deeds outside of marriage between a husband and a wife. None of us are innocent of sexual immorality, and none of us are immune to it. If you're someone who reads God's word, then you're drawn to accounts like Sodom and Gomorrah, in which the angels visited Lot and Sodom, and the men wanted to have sex with the angels. And so um, Lot himself was willing to offer his own daughter in exchange, which they would not take, and so the angels pushed the door shut and caused the men to become blind. But what's, what kind of comes after that is the fact that the men keep searching for the door. Even blindness doesn't stop them from what they want. Lust is, I want what I want, and I don't care what it takes for me to get it. Deuteronomy 28, 29, or 28, 28 and 29 says, in referencing the curses that would come from rebellion, God will affect you with madness, blindness, and confusion of mind. At midday, you will grope about like a blind person in the dark. You will be unsuccessful in everything you do. Day after day, you will, you will be opposed and robbed with no one to save you. Now, as you look at this passage, if you were a Jewish person, you would be shocked by the fact that he speaks about the fact that women abandon the natural relations with women. Even though in Paul's time, women were looked at possess as possessions, they were still looked as virtuous. And they, they believed that where the woman went, the society went. And so for that to be in there, a, Jew, a Jewish person would have woke up and go, what did he just say? So two things before we leave this. And I, I know I could spend a whole lot more time disseminating this more but I wanted to, I, I, just, I just pray that you get this thought in your head about discipleship. First thing before we leave this, we have to remember one thing, two things. One is, all sin is equal in God's eyes. I know that there are some sins that seem more grotesque than others. But in reality, if you are a gossiper, you are equal with a child abuser. You have to get that. If you don't, you'll become a condemner. And there's no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. Second, any sin justified for any reason makes God out to be a liar. 1 John 1.10 says, If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And so the second slippery slope down um, this slope of... Uh, uh, is the fact that our passions no longer honor God. And our life becomes useless and meaningless. And so, sexual discipleship of the world guides you to falsely knowing what you believe and live, and live in a lie of what you believe. And finally, passing on what you believe. 
Notice in these verses, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to depraved mind so that they do what they ought not to be done. When we're moved from believing a lie to living out a lie, our lives have new priorities. New priorities that we pass on to others. Notice what it says here. Worthwhile means to test, examine, to prove and scrutinize something to determine as a value. It is to submit to the general truth of value after examination. I'll go back to the dating thing. We have a few couples in this room that are dating and seeking out God if, if, if this is what God is calling them to. Well, what they're doing is they're examining each other's hearts to see if their heart is a heart of value and a, heart, a godly heart. Because they want to know in examination, is this where God is calling me to walk alongside this person for the rest of my life? Now, what if they were to say, I don't really care. I just want what I want out of this relationship, which is lust. What do you think will happen with that relationship? Right. Right. Why do you think we have so much divorce? Because nobody's taking the time to see if the heart is worthwhile. Because we've been sexually discipled to want what we want. You get that? So the slippery slope of worldly sexual discipleship causes a heart to conclude that the knowledge of God is unworthy of even testing to see if it is true. You know, I'm amazed at how many people reject God and have never read his book. They never found it worthy even to, even to test and to see if it's true. And of course, when that happens, when that attitude happens, then we go into depravity. It means to not withstand the test. The picture is metal that became worthless because of the excess of impurities in it. Bob Overhoff used to be a, a structural engineer, and he would not knowingly let a piece of red steel go into his project if he knew it failed the tinsel strength. Test. So a life that no longer finds the knowledge of God valuable enough to prove is a life that is found continually pursuing to what is wrong and evil. Job 21, 14 through 15 says, Yet they say to God, Leave us alone. We have no desire to know your way. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? What would we gain by praying to him? And so a mind that sees God not being worthwhile to pursue becomes depraved and then you notice the verse so that they do what they ought not to be done. What we don't understand is where sin takes us. A life that no longer lives in the truth driven by lust for the unnatural leads a life that finds pleasure in hiddenness of doing what they ought not do. Jeremiah 4.22 says, My people are fools. They don't know me. They are senseless children. They have no understanding. They are skilled at doing evil. They know not how to do good. And so the lack of knowledge leads to an inability to live out true knowledge of good. Your life was called to be a blessing to the world. But outside of God, it becomes a curse. 
And I, this list, I, I, we, we could have time to go over it, but I don't know if you notice, it's just an amazing list of things that, that we have a life that comes with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossipers, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding. Did you hear that, kids? They disobey their parents? Anybody out there? Yeah? They have, they have no understanding, uh, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. I lo- no love really means that they have, they have changed from an unnatural family relationship to, uh, or from a natural family relationship to an unnatural family relationship. Parents who abandon their children and children who do the same. If you remember in, in Malachi 4, 6, it says that when the Messiah comes, when the Son of Righteousness comes, he will come with healing in his wings. And what will be the result? That he will draw the parents back to their children and the children back to their parents. Why is that so true? Because it is the sexual discipleship of this world that separates families. And he has been so good at it. And many among us see division of family going on. He is good. But verse 32 just hits me. It says, although they knew God's righteous decrees, that those who do such things deserve death. What? Man is without excuse. Why? Because you know what? You know what you're doing is bringing death. So stop. Stop it! (laughs) Someday I'm going to show you a video that I watched this week, which is the most hilarious and yet the most sad video I watched. It's with Bob Newhart, and it's a counseling session. It was under Mad TV. It was a counseling session with Bob Newhart was the counselor, and a gal came in, and she told him what she was struggling with. He says, okay, 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 okay. He says, I got two words for you. He says, and she says, shall I write them down? He's like, if you need to. Most people remember them, but you can write them down if if it feels good. And she says, I'm ready. He said, stop it! Stop it! And she says, what do you mean? She says, it's easy. S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. Stop it! The funny thing about that is, is, is the whole skit. The sad thing is, that's exactly how the church handles discipleship. You don't have time to disciple somebody. The world has said, you gotta work. You gotta have your house. You gotta have your cars. You gotta have everything that it provides. And you have no time to walk alongside somebody and to disciple them. And that's been our problem. That has been our problem. And what's happening, people of God, is not only that they know, but also they're approving others to do the same thing at the end of this passage. When laws are passed to protect sin, when education develops curriculum around sin, when businesses promote the production of sin, and when parents condone the practice of sin, we know we have conceded to the discipleship of the evil one. What are we arguing about? Why aren't we broken by what breaks God's heart? 
Why aren't we looking and say, this is real? Don't you dare be bored with this moment. This is the precipice. This is what God is calling us to do today. If we don't do this, not only do we lose a generation, but we'll lose our country and this world. I get the end time is coming, and I get people out there who are saying, you know, the love of most will grow cold, but you know what? I also get that God is almighty and that he can do anything, and that even your heart in this room, living a life that you have come to realize you're being sexually discipled right now, can change at this moment. If you'll surrender to him and submit to him, he's almighty. He can change any reality. The universe bends to him. That's the point of the song. It starts, listen to me, people of God, it starts with identity. See, the problem is, we, if we let sexuality become our identity, then that becomes the, lead, the, the thing that, that he can lead us on. But if our identity is found in Jesus Christ, as, as the writer told us, even if today you're filled with anguish, filled with sin, even though you thought that this would make your existence better and begin, even though you're filled with anguish, filled with sin, looks like you're running into him again. Amen? You're running into him today. You're running into him because he is here among us and he loves us. Born again are the hands that hold you from jumping off the slippery slope. Born again is the realization that the writer is the writing the story that cannot be altered. And he wants to write born again over your life. Each of your lives. He wants to supernaturally alter your heart so that you can change from the sexual discipleship that you've been living out into new creations. And it starts with this, that if you confess that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Amen. People of God, where's your identity today? Is it in your sexuality? Or is it in Jesus Christ? The second step is community. Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. And that is true. If you're going to walk into a, into a discipleship relationship, you have to have four things. First of all, you have to be relational. That means you, you have to be able to walk with people. You need to take time with them. You need to carve space out of your life and walk with him. First thing. Second of all, you have to be authentic. Stop hiding. I have seen people who have been in church for years. When they come to the place of reality, of something that they have kind of pushed down in their lives because they don't want to feel the pain again, it's that very thing that may transform another life. Because as you walk into that pain and you're authentic enough to walk into it, they will see the authenticity of it and they will respond to it. But if you keep things hidden, if you keep your life hidden, thinking somehow because you're a good person, they'll become a good person, you're missing the whole point. 
When Chuck takes us out, so many times we'll sit across and we might share just a little bit of our testimony with somebody. Why do we do that? We want them to see we want to be in relationship with them and we want to also let them know that we're authentic. We're not, I, the biggest indictment I hear from people outside the church is this. They're not real. They're not real. I work with this person who calls themselves a Christian. I know what they're like at work. And on Sunday, they're a completely different person. What is that? So you have to be, you have to be relational. You have to be authentic. Next thing is, you cannot let circumstances overtake your life. You have to, you have to return to joy quickly. That's not just put on a happy face. That means that I trust in the Lord. I'm in the midst of my circumstance, but I trust him so much that I'm going to let him be Lord over the situation, and I'm not going to try to control it. And so a joy comes in your heart that helps you to keep walking through. And people go, dude, you are like under the worst thing right now. How can you walk with the confidence and the hope in your heart? Because I believe in Jesus. And even if this takes my life, I'm still with him. I still win. I still win. So return to joy quickly. And then finally, endure hardship well. We have a very weak generation that uses divorce as a way to get out about anything. They'll divorce themselves from their wives, their husbands. They'll divorce themselves from their jobs. They'll divorce themselves from whatever just to protect their life. We need some stout people to stand up and say, you know what? I'm not changing course. I'm keeping walking and I'm going to follow Jesus Christ no matter what. No matter what. The uh, Sue and I watched a movie last night, and it was about the woman that started Elanon. And her husband was an alcoholic. Time and time and time and time and time, they lost all their money, they lost their houses, they lost all kinds of stuff, and she stood by him. And he was starting to get recovery, and he was starting to meet with men. And she saw all these women sitting out in their cars, and so she just went up to one and said, Hey, would you like to come in for a cup of tea? And it ended up being a bunch of women coming together and beginning to see that in Jesus Christ, there is healing even for the woman who is underneath an addiction of another person. And that's where Elanon came from. She stood the course. She didn't give up. We need people like that today because we live in a world that is being sexually discipled. Do you disagree with that? then we need a people that are willing to stand up and be disciplers so that we come against the enemy and we use what we know to be true about Jesus Christ, what we're living out to be true about Jesus Christ, and passing on Jesus Christ to other people so that the world may know that he loves and that he's Jesus and he's in control. Does this make sense to any of us in this room? This is where I had to end because I didn't like the rest of it. And I know some of you started going, how long is he going to go on and talk about this? But do we have to get here? Be patient. <laughs> I absolutely love you all. I know I don't know you all, but I love you all. But this is so important that if you are going to a place that doesn't reach out in its community, that's not looking for people who are lost, that are not looking to walk into people who are being discipled, then find a place that is. Because time is short, and it may be the end of time, and the clouds may part as you walk out of this room. I don't know when that's going to be, but I do know this. 
I do know this. There's a man out there that doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, but he's never read his word. Never read his word. And there is a person that you're working with that is under the, the, the um, oppression of sexual abuse. And they need to be set free. And you're standing right next to him. People of God, it's time. God is calling for disciples to be raised up. Will you answer that call? Stand with me as we pray. Before we pray, I just wonder if there's somebody in this room that has been convinced by the Spirit of God that, they're, that they've been living under a different discipleship than what he's wanted. And I'm wondering if today they'd like to repent of that. Don't let pride get in the way. Don't let anything get in the way. Today is a great day to come to the Lord. Do not harden your heart. I'm going to be standing up here, and if my leadership sees people walking forward, I know they'll join me. But people of God, you're not walking before us or Ryan. You're walking before the Lord saying, you know what? I'm tired. I'm done with it. I want to follow you, and I'm willing to surrender to you. If that's you today, after I pray, he's going to play a song. Come forward. I don't care if nobody comes forward. I do. But God cares more. God cares more than I do. He loves you. And he sees your heart. And he knows where you've been. And he knows the thoughts you've been thinking, the life you've been living, and what you've been teaching others. Come forward and let him know you're done. You're done. Let me pray. Father in heaven, such, such hard verses. Such striking my own heart. I can't imagine they didn't strike others. But Father, I just pray for those that are in this room today. I pray that you have opened someone's heart to realizing that they say they're following Jesus, but they realize they've really been following another discipler. I pray for those who have been sitting in the seat for a lot of years and realize they really are not discipling. And I pray that, Father, that they will be moved to realize the great need for discipleship in our community, in our world today. And I pray that, Father, that you will bless them with a determination of their heart convinced by you to go and do it. And I pray that, Lord, there will be a new, a new doctrine that will be taught, the doctrine of Jesus Christ who came, died on a cross, and rose again from the dead to give life and life eternal. And I pray that, Father, that even in these last days, that it's not too late for some to return to you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. And we give you praise and honor. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.